This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, this podcast number 52. Uh, and with me, uh, Corey Morningstar in Toronto. Hi, Corey. John. All the usual people, Varun Mather in New Delhi. Varun? Hello. Hello. Uh, Hiroyuki Hamada in New hey, York John. City. Hey, man. Hi. And Johan Edebo in Sweden. Hey, everybody. Um, so uh, I wanted to say quickly at the beginning that I'm going, there'll be some links posted with this, one of which will be um, the link for the art project of the New York City firefighters that, that have made contact with us, our listeners, and that Hiroyuki visited um, a couple weeks ago. And they have this really fascinating uh, sort of collective project and the link will be available. And I think that it's, it's really exceptionally good and that this is how culture is reclaimed, um, not through MFA programs, but, but organically uh, from, from projects like this, from working class actually. Um, anyway. And I got a number of other letters and emails from people. I don't get letters anymore. You get emails uh, in support of the program. And that's very nice. And, and we all of us like hearing from uh, people who listen. Anyway, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about the great reset and digital IDs and stuff. So I want to sort of turn this over to Corey to begin that, I think. Yeah, Corey? Okay. <laughs> overwhelming i mean it's um canada is about to roll theirs out within within weeks um weeks or months australia i've been really digging into it over the past week australia is um i think rolling it out maybe has rolled it out already it's all over their website i see commentary on it that that's coming into play um i'm just going to start with sort of um sort of a synopsis that I did a couple days ago. And this first quote is uh, actually from a UN, um, United Nations, what is it? United Nations, um, one of the sister organizations for population. And I, I just sort of stumbled onto it and I just found it Oh, God. Okay, here we go. Irony died a trillion deaths. April 14th, 2021. The 2021 State of World Population Report titled, My Body is My Own, marks the first time the United Nations report focuses on the agency of individuals to make choices about their bodies without fear, violence, or coercion. Um, so there's that. I mean, that's just... <sighs> Unbelievable. I mean, we know that that's not actually, you know, what the United Nations actually is for. This is all about, um, you know, contraception um, decided upon and sold by rich white um, patriarchs, um, such as Bill Gates. Um, you know, it's all about the population thing, but it's a fascinating quote. And then if you go to their Twitter account, there's all kinds of stuff about this, about um, bodily autonomy and how, um, you know, this whole idea that it's yours to decide without coercion, but apparently not when it comes to vaccines. Um, as we see, people all over the planet are being coerced into vaccines, even though we know now that they do not work 
that um, they're creating all kinds of harm and injury for a disease where um, there's almost a 100% recovery rate, where most people have mild um, to mild symptoms. So we know that it's not about health, right? And I keep saying it's not about health, not about health, not about health. So that leads us to um, digital identities, digital ID, which is um, now rolling out at breakneck speed. And I think you'll see that the whole um, Facebook whistleblower, quote unquote, thing will all be the solution will be the victory for the people will be the digital identities that are going to be wrapped into that because Facebook just joined with the Good Health Pass, which is ID 2020, which is Gates. Um, ah, Gates, um, that goes back to the UN, the World Bank, um, back to 2014, actually. So I'm just going to read this, what I wrote. Um, on vaccine passports, they're creating a new inescapable web of surveillance with geolocation data being tracked everywhere. We have a, oh, sorry, first of all, sorry, I'm just get that track. So this is Anne Kavukian, I'm not, I'm not sure again if I'm pronouncing her name right, Anne Kavukian. Um, she's the former privacy commissioner of Ontario, Canada, and amazingly enough, she's um either past or still um, an advisor, a board member of ID 2020. And she says this on September 29th on vaccine passports, they are creating a new inescapable web of surveillance with geolocation data being tracked everywhere. We have a global digital infrastructure that is growing literally around the world. And then I write the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals also called SDGs or Emerging Markets marketed under guise protecting the planet and eradicating poverty. World Economic Forum, having officially partnered with the UN on June 13, 2019, is at the helm of implementation. ID 2020, Global Health Pass, Gabby, Microsoft, um, et cetera. Um, I think there's 125 corporations involved in that or more now. Um, World Economic Forum, which is the Commons Project with the Rockefeller Foundation. And the Vaccine Credentials Initiative, which is Salesforce, Amazon, Microsoft, Walmart, Apple, and another 275 corporations are at the helm of global digital credential passport oversight infrastructure. And within that, the smart health cards are now rolling out at breakneck speed. Immunization is the entry point for digital identity. And so we have... <laughs> Um, and, and I take that rate from actually a 2018 article by ID 2020, um, and that's actually the title. It's called Immunization, an Entry Point for Digital Identity. So again, this stuff's not really hidden. Um, people just don't really read, and um, there's so much distraction, not to mention people are exhausted um, trying to work, you know, two jobs and, every, and raise children and everything else. Um, and so then I, I do this huge um, Twitter thread, which hopefully we can link to. John, it's just sort of a synopsis of what's been happening I, since basically 2007. I is in the thread with the OECD. And um, within that, there's an actual meeting at the UN, an ID 2020 meeting. And up on the wall, on a projector, is a slide building a humanized internet freedom as a service. Okay, so think about that freedom as a service, right? And this is capitalism now expanding um, 
you know, trying to find new markets. What we, you know, we're sat capitalism has saturated the planet. We need new markets to keep it, you know, from collapsing. Where do we go? Well, let's we can actually commodify freedom, can make that into a service. And then you really have to get your depraved critical thinking cap on, right? You really have to think um, to this level of depravity. And, you know, to me, I think, okay, so if we can make freedom as a service. You can also um, transform health into a service. And if you go down that path, you can also transform immunity into a service. This is how you, we know this, this is how, how you have to see things through a very, very depraved lens, because that's what capitalism is, right? Based on exploitation and um, exploitation uh, of others and, um, you know, commodifying everything. So anyway, that's sort of a, I'll just stop there and let you guys interject. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I it, it's, it's fascinating uh, how it's not hidden and, and it's out in the open. And there have been a number of lectures, videos that, that people can access. And maybe I will, I will link a few of them. Uh, none of them are, are perfect in my opinion, but they're all very informative and, and useful. And it's a very complex subject. And, and uh, it, it's, it's hard, I think, to wrap one's mind around all of it and, and the historical precedents and so forth. But it seems to me that it's crucial to understand that, uh, that we're looking at this economic restructuring globally and, and the emergence or, or the beginning of the, the, the activation of power by this unelected billionaire class and and their various NGOs I mean of which there are just simply hundreds and especially the asset managers and their influence you know Black, BlackRock and Fidelity and State Street and Vanguard uh, who own everything I mean virtually everything and you 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 have to understand that the media, reports on this stuff and the media is 100% owned by these, these um, unelected uh, financial institutions, organizations. And, and so uh, you only have to sample, you know, Hollywood, uh, Hollywood product, the new season of TV shows is being rolled out and, and uh, it doesn't, it doesn't require uh, Sherlock Holmes to to um, to to see the way in which uh, the the message is being hammered home again and again and again. Who the villains are, what's good for people, and the great virtue of emerging markets like biotechnology—they're good for mankind. And look, if you talk to the average Norwegian here. Uh, they they think this is all good. This is progress. Uh, they they can't imagine that anybody has any ill intentions. They're simply trying to help people. Sometimes perhaps they're misguided, perhaps not. But uh, but but they believe in the in the, the basic uh, uh, goodness of of these you know proven. Uh, 
uh, liars and and destroyers of the world. I mean, you know, this is these are people with a track record of deception and exploitation and theft, and yet and yet um, uh, people believe them. But the other thing is. It, 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 it is interesting to listen to certain economists now talk about uh, the idea of a global central bank and uh, uh, the idea of how banks, and I'm not an expert in bourgeois economics, but you know the idea of a bank creating money, that, that the money that's lent is new money. It's not, it's not you know, excess deposits or anything. Banks simply, the very big banks just loan money that they invent. And uh, it, it's, a you know, this is also a hugely complex topic, but, but the point is that this contraction uh, to just a few major players in all of this uh, it, is you know it, it it trends towards this absolute um, control of everything and a and a international international global surveillance system is just um, is not a is not a fantasy it's not a myth I mean that's the goal and they're very close to that part of it already um, anyway uh, Johan. Yeah, I think you're right on point in emphasizing that this is a this is an economic restructuring we're seeing, and I think we need we need to repeat this point and and uh, emphasize it very strongly because I I think everything points towards this being a key aspect of the of the background processes here, and and uh, I spoke we spoke Varun basically on this before the we started to record and. I, I think we're seeing kind of a desperate maneuver, th this uh, structuring of, of a, this building of an infrastructure for surveillance and control. Uh, I, I think the managers are facing a situation that's increasingly unstable and that these moves are, are in a sense desperate. But I was just wanting, uh, meaning to ask you uh, how your interpretation of this Facebook whistleblower I think it was so. Uh, yeah, yeah, you 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 spoke of it earlier, John. I think it was so very very convenient because the the take home of the message was basically that Facebook did not exercise enough surveillance that it right. allows such things as disruptive speech to proliferate and so on. You, you spoke of it as a kind of limited and controlled hangout, and and it would be great if you could uh, elaborate on that. Well, I mean, if if one, you know, anyone doesn't know what a limited hangout is, you can Google it. It goes back to the <clears throat> the Nixon tapes and talking to Haldeman, I believe it was, who said, you know, we'll just let it all hang out. Just like the kids say, Dick, we're going to let it all hang out. Nixon said, right, good, but but limited. Anyway, that was the origin of the term limited hangout. But but the Haugen woman was textbook limited hangout. Um, whistleblowers, real whistleblowers don't get airtime like that. You know, they're not visible like that. Ask um, Julian Assange about it. Um, uh, or the various ones who have been killed. Uh, this was, this was damage control and perception management. And Facebook's had a lot of problems. They've had a few technical problems. They have had um, a very negative uh, 
sort of feedback from people over the last they've and they've they've hemorrhaged uh, users uh, who are going to things like Instagram and and all these other platforms uh, and Facebook is feeling dated and outmoded and you know the place where soccer moms go or something. Um, but the Haugen woman was <clears throat> was pure limited hangout. I mean, she was there to, um, as you say, send the message that that Facebook could be doing so much more to protect people by increasing censorship and uh, restricting hate speech and misinformation. And we all know what that means. You know, we, this podcast is labeled misinformation, I'm quite sure. So, um, and hence dangerous. So, uh, you know, that, that's what that was. And, and it was almost laughable because I think a lot of people, in fact, um, recognized it as a, as a PR stunt, really, and, and not much more. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 the sort of, I don't know the word, it's a kind of form of false flag that we're seeing in, in media, the, the control of who is visible and who isn't. And, uh, even back to the sixties, Marcuse used to write about, um, token, uh, resistance, you know, there has to be a certain amount of resistance that's visible. Uh, so it provides an alibi. And they go, no, no, look, we have people. We allow people to criticize us. Look, look, Leslie Haugen came on and criticized us, you know. Um, and, and it allows for the more effective silencing of um, really dissident voices. And, and, and that's becoming more acute. And I point out over and over that all one has to do is use Google search for anything, um, uh, any, any serious question and, and the, the, the paper that you might really be looking for will be on page four or five, if it's there at all. Mm. And, um, you know, this week was the, one of the popular memes that has been coming out of a lot of sites is the, the one that goes, you know, Nazism and fascism and communism are basically the same thing. You know, it's the old horseshoe theory um, rebranded again. And I've seen very sharp people, people who have um, been very good about the reset, basically, and uh, good about the pandemic, skeptical of the master narrative, as it were, um, fall into this particular conflation. And it it's understandable on one level, given both, you know, 60 years <clears throat> of rabid anti-communist propaganda and historical revisionism and uh, the fact that, that uh, it's a convenient, simple, um, simplistic, reductive uh, idea that's trotted out and, and sounds like, oh, man, that makes sense, you know, and the, the tell is always the word totalitarian, which is a which is a very problematic word, actually. Um, and and so, you know, this this is if you go to Google and you type in communism and fascism, um, what are the differences? You get page after page 
<laughs> even though you typed in the word difference, page after page of communism and fashion, why they are so similar. Two pages of that. That's not what you asked for, you know, but that's what you get. Um, because there, there is a clear um, intention, propagandistic intention to conflate those two terms. Um, and of course, it's not true. They are diametrically opposed. They're counter ideologies. They are the absolute difference. In fact, you know, communism is anti-fascism and fascism is anti-communism. Um, but the idea that that Hitler threw socialist into the title of his party, National Socialism, um, it has any relevance to, to what he did, which was nothing remotely like socialism. I mean, he crushed trade unions and privatized everything and, and um, uh, restored property to the aristocracy and uh, on and on and on. I mean, it's a laughable conflation. It's simply not true. And, and, but this is the problem you see with social media, I think. And, and we can talk about this a little bit, but um, <clears throat> there is a danger in thinking that uh, social media represents the voices you hear on social media on Twitter and all these idiotic platforms. And we know all the problems, you know, from the way they structure algorithms and so forth. We know all the problems, but there is still a tendency to think you are um, looking at a, a reasonable cross-section of, of the populace, and you're not. I think very educated people tend to avoid social media. I sometimes wonder why all of us engage in it other than we're trying to get a certain message out and and we think it's important. <clears throat> but I think it's it's a trap to forget uh, that that there are just, you know, profoundly uneducated people out there who who uh, publish things and and pontificate on topics they know absolutely nothing about. And uh, and if you if you think of young people, and this is what they're exposed to, because I don't think they're home reading Marx and Engels or Lenin or Mao or, you know, uh, the Frankfurt School or any, you know, any serious uh, theoretical work at all. Um, they're on their smartphones or they're on their laptops and they are on social media and they listen to these people um, who who speak with this kind of weird authority, even though they know absolutely nothing about the subject they're talking about, in this case, fascism and communism and history. Uh, so, so it's, you know, and that was my last blog post was about, about the Disney effect, you know, the Disneyfication of, of uh, sort of cultural aesthetics in a way. But it becomes ideological at a certain point. Ariel Dorfman's book that I saw Hiroyuki, you reposted, How to Read Donald Duck, um, a book that was banned when it was first published in Chile. Uh, you know, it's a very, very sharp book. And uh, this is stuff that is, that is, quickly, that is quickly banned and, and, um, and taken off YouTube, taken off Twitter, taken off Facebook, anything that is a little too disruptive is going to be silenced. So it's a very tricky 
Um, it's a very tricky dynamic. And I will say the other thing, the, the, the greatest single missing element in all of these people that, that I, the, the people I, that make this very basic confusion that buy into this, this conflation, um, the missing element is, is a lack of understanding about class, that, that what Marx was talking about was the class struggle. And that this isn't a thing, it's a relationship. It's a tension between, you know, the owners of the means of production and workers. And again, we can go into all of that if we want, but but it's it's always very telling among anti-Marxists, anti-communists, anti-socialists that that they deny the existence of class and they don't look at history at all in terms of class struggle. And it becomes very problematic. Their conclusions become very problematic. Anyway, um, okay, uh, uh, Varun? Yeah, it's, um, I think just to add on to what you were saying just now, I think what's interesting is that now, especially with the digitization of identity and content, quote-unquote content and everything is available online the primary relationship of each individual is now with the internet in that mm. sense yeah. and this is a homogenization where everybody is on equal footing because you're interacting with the same content you can say whatever you want and on simultaneously what you have what you can watch happen is an absolute decimation of the depth of philosophy with which people are talking because Wikipedia can be manipulated, Google is manipulating every single piece of thing that is getting posted on it. And this kind of homogenization which is happening is, I think, psychologically herding people into a place of absolute confusion, which will then eventually be only sorted out by the establishment. Right. And I think we have seen that happen over the last year and a half quite, quite prominently in, in the world. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually. Um, <clears throat> Johan? Yeah, I, I reflecting on that issue, I, I saw this, um, I, I think it was an ad by CDC trying to, uh, to raise um, the, the vaccination numbers of, of uh, pregnant women or something like that. And there was a line in this ad <clears throat> that was so, so nonsensical, so irrational. They argued that the, the unknown side effects were definitely outweighed by the positive benefits, but that, that's an immediate contradiction in one single <laughs> sentence, because if they're unknown, it means that this fact cannot be discerned. So, so it's like this, this is a, a kind of terrorizing nonsense, because if you proliferate and repeat these <clears throat> immediately contradictory messages, it's very confusing at a deep level. Well, I, I, it's like when, when Hollywood studios used to start publishing ads in March that led with surprise hit of the summer. You go, it isn't even summer yet. How can it be the surprise? But like nobody notices this stuff, you know, um, because there's just so much of it. There's just such a, mm. such a, a surplus of information that one is bombarded with all the time. And people's attention spans, um, generally speaking, you know, in, at, have shrunk enormously. And, and there's, I think we go on about this almost every podcast, but the, the damage done cognitively by smartphones and social media and um, uh, the, the, 
you know, the whole propaganda apparatus of, of, uh, of, of the people who own media is, is profound. I mean, it's, it's incalculable. It's, um, it's very hard to, to go up against it too. And you can't, there's also these platforms, Twitter and Facebook and whatever you want. Um, all of them, uh, are impossible to, to actually debate on the platform. It's impossible. You know, you have limited space and anything that is goes on, any sort of thread that goes on for any length of time becomes utterly confusing and impossible to access. And, uh, uh, and, and the way that they are structured, the way algorithms work with these things, uh, and, and, and people's reactions are so knee jerk and, and conditioned, uh, that, that, informed debate is literally impossible yeah, so that's yeah. not what you get that you know and this was true even you know i mean what's his name uh, jerry mander back in whenever he wrote the book four arguments for the elimination of television which was 40 years ago i think he wrote that it was a former ad executive madison avenue guy um all his arguments remain exactly correct it's it's extraordinary uh and and um, and he said, God, just, you know, turn off your TV. Don't watch this stuff. Mm -hmm. Johan, I have a question for for here, Yuki, but <clears throat> just to add on to what you're saying, uh, it's really important to note that the structure is not at all conducive to actual debate, that the framework tends to create nothing but the dissemination of propaganda or trivial nonsense, really. And in, in the same way, I think, because the Nazis, they're the, the, this archetypical enemy image in the modern West, and to conflate socialism and fascism, I think that can be seen as something like the system's uh, like mimetic immune defense against actual left-wing politics. And I, I was wondering if you have a, if you have a reflection on this here, Yuki, how, how like the imperialistic structure of, of the economic order like tends to recreate certain narratives due to its, its own form rather than any actual intent behind it. Oh, I don't even know if I can add anything to uh, the discussion, but um, it's, um, well, first of all, this is a, uh, um, one of the things uh, forwarded by the uh, uh, virus situation. We have uh, digitalization, which is happening everywhere and uh, also um, uh, systematic lockdowns, which is basically a gentrification of the societies, and also um, neoliberal um, restructuring of the whole thing. Um, so this is just one of the things we are experiencing. And uh, um, it, it's, it's sort of like uh, uh, when the currency became the tool of the ruling class to shift uh, social relations um, for their benefit, uh, the digital uh, media is doing the same thing. It, it presents uh, rules, presents information, uh, presents this framework that uh, create organic social relations. It's real. You know, people are actually interacting. You know, some of them are real people. Uh, not real people are there too. <laughs> but uh, it is 
tangible, uh, organic social relations. And it's there and we can feel it. And it's so deceptive because it's not really based on reality. Um, so this is a great tool um, um, for the ruling class. And it's happening through the, uh, this virus event. Everything is uh, harder toward um, digital. Um, and this is, again, what John was saying about um, financial, financialization of the society, uh, the central bank is pushing toward um, digital currency and uh, centralization of information so that they can coordinate with industries to uh, put everything in control, uh, kind of save yeah. this falling um, uh, capitalist structure by digitalization. And um, it's, 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 it's really, I, I can see that everything is really connected. And, um, um, you know, of course, it's really hard to talk about something like that, because it, once you start talking about everything is connected, um, <laughs> this person and that person and this organization, that organization, you're a conspiracy theorist. So, um, and that's, again, goes back to the, uh, um, this mechanism of uh, propaganda and indoctrination. We are experiencing this um, distorted um, social relations um, in which people are um, labeled in certain ways. And um, um, yeah, so um, <laughs> it's, it's really... Um, uh, um, there's a lot to talk about, and um, um, you don't even know where to no, I, begin and I, where to end. It's like, well, I want to say something because I'm laughing because because it is. It's like your mind. It it. There are so many tentacles, um, you know, uh, moving outward, and and it's very hard to to to. Um, to try to organize one's critique because there's so much information, but I want to, I want to say something about, about propaganda. Um, and the, I, I, I had a friend in Los Angeles who has a very popular radio show, Mike Silverblatt. Um, he's been doing it for God, I don't know, 30 years, the bookworm. He started out reviewing books and he's a very, very sharp, extraordinarily literate guy. And, um, and uh, and it, the show became in, incredibly popular. I may have even mentioned this on here before. And I asked him one day, last time I was in LA, this is 10, 15 years ago. I said, but did you ever expect your show to become so popular? Because you are talking to and interviewing authors of, of often very obscure books, esoteric books, difficult you know, uh, university press books and, and things that are not popular that most of your audience clearly will not have read because not very many people read this stuff. And so what accounts for the popularity of the show? And he said, I've, I've thought about this and I wonder about it. He said, but my answer is that I think people long for the sound of wisdom. And uh, I think there's a great truth in that. That, that because this is a sound that's largely absent from corporate media, from the entertainment industry, certainly 
um, you know, you were much more likely to hear the opinions of, uh, you know, uh, Jay-Z and the Kardashians than you are, um, you know, anybody serious because serious work is complicated and demanding and is, I think, experienced as accusatory by, by many people. And, and so uh, that, but, but somewhere buried in the reptile brain of people, there is a recognition, something, something very deep gets turned on, a, a little dim light gets turned on when they hear something that they recognize as a sound different from, from what they are always exposed to. The sound of wisdom, if you like, I don't care. But, um, and, and this is the antithesis of the sound of propaganda, which is simplistic and, and repetitious and never complex. The words are short, the sentences are simple. And, uh, uh, you know, these, the, the effects of this stuff have been studied and they fine tuned how to get that message across and just beat it over and over and over and over. So, um, so this is the problem when we're talking about the pandemic. Uh, you know, no, it, it, it is impossible on social media. It's certainly impossible on, on the internet in general or YouTube or any of these platforms. YouTube, you have the best chance if, if you give a lecture and they allow it to stay up, maybe. Um, it's impossible to have... Uh, a complex, serious discussion, and and people tune it out anyway because um, because people don't have the attention for it, and and I think that the internet in general, the way it's structured, uh, encourages an already present anxiety in people, and and so they quick switch to something else and something else after that, and and there is no time for reflection. Um, Johan. Yeah, to to continue on this this uh, issue, uh, there's a there's a guy on Substack I used to read who has a he had such a, a great uh, he had a phrase he he talked about crowdsourced propaganda and and I think that's such a such a hugely intelligent concept because I think social media is basically a, a system for crowdsourcing propaganda and and not much else. Uh, he writes that. Um, uh, 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 we we can link it in the in the in the notes later. Yeah. He calls himself El Gato Malo, and he, he writes he does statistics. <clears throat> uh, but I, I I was wondering, Corey, if you could say something about the pension crisis because I would like to to talk about the inflation issue a little bit, and also I would like to ask you, Varun, to say something more about the the coal crisis you spoke of in India. Could you could you possibly do this? The what? Sorry, the what crisis in India? No, the pension crisis on your part, and then then Varun could perhaps uh, talk about the energy crisis in India. Okay, well, I mean, the pension crisis is um, a much debated subject amongst the Council of Foreign Relations, which is sort of at the you know the very very top of this of this um, ruling class structure, which works hand in hand with the World Economic Forum, actually. I think we discussed that earlier, that back in 2016, basically, 
they um, handed the fourth industrial revolution baton to the World Economic Forum that, and then the, it ran with that at that time. It was sort of time to roll it out. Um, whereas what John has written about for years and actually I um, learned so much from both John and Hiroyuki uh, because I had believed that same thing all about the population and that I had swallowed all that. Um, but if you look at the World Bank reports and IMF, um, the um, you know all the rest of the global institutions, um, Brookings, Brookings, what have you, there's actually a massive population decline in the Western world, um, which we've talked about, I think, before. And the only places it's actually going to grow is Africa and India, which is now why you see all the NGOs relocating to Africa, relocating to India. There's like, um, you know, it, it's like um, hyenas are all uh, are all racing off to Africa and India now for the next bit you know, um, to exploit. Everyone, I mean, part of the digital identity is more exploitation um, by bringing in the impoverished, the deliberately impoverished by the capitalist system into the capitalist system um, through the blockchain, which then um, chains them to the debt economy, right? And total compliance. In addition, you can harvest the data, which turns into money. So like this is really, really multifaceted, this whole, this whole rollout. Um, so anyway, the pension crisis is huge. We don't have enough youth being born, support the elderly that will need care. I mean, that's one thing we have to look at, the vaccination, um, the, va the they're not in vaccines, the genetic, what's it called, gene therapy. Because we see the digital identity, we think, okay, there it is, it's the digital identity, but there's also something more because why does every single person have to get this? Why do children have to get this? There has to be more to it. There's something, there's another layer on top of the a digital identity and it's to do with the biotech. And mm -hmm. I don't know whether it's in something in, you know, right now that we see within these um, experimental vaccines, because there's so much we don't know about them, whether there's something coming into the future, but there's another element to the vaccination, which makes it because it, it's common knowledge now that it doesn't make sense. And I, I don't want to take up too much space here and ramble on, but I do want to touch upon this week. I, in my head, I thought when the adverse reactions from the vaccines surpassed the deaths with COVID, not from COVID in Canada. I want to make a note of that. Oh. So th this week, yesterday, I looked at the latest um, because they're published every Friday, the latest um, stats. So there's been over 17,000 now adverse reactions in Canada, population 38 million. Okay, with deaths, we had 27,000, but 50, over 15,000 of those occurred in long-term care. Not from COVID, but as an inquiry as an inquiry showed from neglect. Um, so I'm not saying none of them had COVID, but overall they died of neglect. Right, people that would have recovered from COVID died because of neglect, and that was um, there was an inquiry in Canada. So, for example, this week um, deaths with co with COVID for age zero to 19 years of age. Um, that remains 17, whereas the vaccine adverse events for age 12 to 17 is now 451. Hmm. Okay, so now this doesn't make sense. So any politician worth a damn would say, whoa, you know, stop 
this is not working, this is not helping, vaccines don't help, um, but instead we see uh, massive injury and it's going ahead. Right now they're planning to do this massive um, childhood vaccination campaign. In 38 million people, there's been 17 children aged zero to 19 that died with, with um, COVID. So there's something way more to it. It's not about health at all. And in addition, um, we just announced, the federal government, Trudeau just announced that no one will be traveling by train or plane in Canada without not just um, a vaccina um, vaccination credential, but it has to be digital. So there you go, right? Tying into yeah. the- Wow. Well, the, <coughs> excuse me, the, um, the, in Norway, uh, there was, there was a, a huge number of, uh, a huge reportage of, of adverse effects. And I don't have the numbers handy, but it was, but it was a surprisingly high number. And yet it passed without much commentary. Uh, the government has not here introduced uh, even the idea of a vaccine passport, but Norway is a very small country, and, and so it's kind of an outlier in all of this. But it has been interesting. I mean, there's so many stories. You look at Singapore, Israel, all of these examples where uh, huge numbers of vaccinated people are getting sick. Um, but at a certain point, you know, the, the because God knows I am fatigued from reading statistics over the last two years. Uh, at a certain point, the 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 reliability of statistics becomes becomes hugely questionable. That said, there are undeniable anomalous um, uh, sets of facts out there, statistical facts. And, and uh, there are groups now, I saw in Israel, an, a number of protests, surprisingly, protests against vaccine uh, passports, vaccine mandates, and the, the uh, uh, squashing of, of dissenting voices and the punishing of dissenting voices. Huge protests. Italy, massive, massive protests have been going on for three months now. Um, all over the world, there are protests and they are even being talked about by kind of mainstream conservative voices. You will hear on newscasts. Um, I was listening to the economist Richard Werner, who's very interesting. I mean, he's a he's a, a basically kind of politically conservative guy, but he's very, very knowledgeable. And he was saying, yeah, and all these protests, look at these protests. Um, the governments know about them. People don't because they are not reported on. But the governments certainly know there is massive social unrest going on out there. And uh, that's certainly a factor in, in looking at all of this, because as you say, there is no medical justification for um, for any of this, any of the, 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 we have to vaccinate everybody. They're slowly backing off of that in most places, but uh, mostly because populations are 70 to 85, 90% vaccinated now. Um, and, and uh, you know, in places like Israel, you're not considered vaccinated until you've had your third booster or something. I mean, it's crazy. And uh, if you start to compare the official positions of various governments, whether it's Korea, Singapore, uh, Israel, India, the United States, they're all, they all contradict each other. There's no consensus really about 
how vaccines are working or not working or how many boosters to have. There's no there's you no unanimous position here at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that itself is not talked about either. Um, Corey. Well, just to just to continue just for a second on what um, Johan had asked. So, yeah, and actually in Israel, on, they're on their third. They've done their third and they've already announced a fourth booster. And if you do not get it, your passport becomes um, it doesn't work any longer. Right. So that's what this whole thing is. Right. Total compliance or you're cut off. And I just wanted to say about the pensions. I mean, they're very, very clear in the white papers. There's two choices. Um, you either extend the the you either extend the age of people working, right? But um, or you have less people to support, less pensioners. Now, um, common sense dictates that you cannot keep injecting your body with a foreign sub- substance over and over and over and over, and that your immune system will stay healthy, right, and keep you keep you alive. I mean, that to me is just common sense. Um, so, you know, you don't really, we don't really know, um, you know, more than that at this time. And we no, won't know for a few years, but will people die earlier from this? I mean, it's so straightforward to me. You can only live with your immune system healthy and, and intact, right? That's not science. I mean, that is science, right? That is science. Um yeah, anyway, that that's the whole pension thing is there. Um, I had something else, but I can't think of it. So I'll just pass. <laughs> well, I always wanted to mention that article. I think all of us read it uh, about the, the, the an area in the, I think it was the South Caucasus, I forget, um, with a with a with uh, uh, an area in which people lived to um, a, an unusually uh, old age, over 100. Um huge numbers of people and they were trying to figure out why what what what's the x factor here what's the secret to to this um longevity and the conclusion was was vague but basically it was lack of stress people got out and took walks there was community people talked with each other people knew each other there was a a, a historical uh continuity to these communities um and and beyond that they said you know the diet was nothing special but it was mostly you know a mediterranean diet and and pretty healthy but a lot of people drank and people used tobacco and all of these things but it was no stress and community that was Mm. that you know fresh air community and um and and that those were the those were the primary factors those things reduced stress and that was a killer and and that was that and if you if you think about that, the the entire protocol, the protocols put in position um, in place by governments for this pandemic are targeting exactly those things. You know, they are eliminating community, locking people inside so they have no fresh air and um, and amping up stress to an unbearable, almost impossible to imagine degree and creating, you know, a society of acute anxiety, and they were anxious enough to begin with. So, um, yeah, Corey? Yeah, I, pre- I remembered what I was going to say. So, <laughs> very important element into this, you have to bring in into this the UBI, right? You have to remember the fourth industrial revolution is all about 
automating all the jobs, right, with artificial intelligence. So you have this um, huge aging population, you have um, very few people being born, only people in, in certain parts of the world being born, everywhere else it's contracting. Um, so what do you do with all those, all those people? Do, I mean, they run the numbers, right? Are they going to pay them UBI? They don't want to pay anybody more people than they have to, right? And so that, and and I mean, that's how they think. That's what you do. You run the numbers. It's not about, um, there's no empathy there, right? Under capitalism, you run the numbers and you, and you work towards um, the bottom line. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, the, the thing is, and this is where I can hear myself starting to to sound like a conspiracy theorist. But 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 it's important to remember that Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and the people around them, their lieutenants and 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 flunkies, um, and and Elon Musk and and whoever you know, Jack Ma, all of these people, all of the extreme, extreme high net worth gajillionaires uh, uh, who have a level of wealth that is, that is, you know, historically unprecedented, that by and large, these are not, you know, these are not the, the, the so-called smartest guys in the room. They are not. I mean, Bill Gates is, I've said before, a dangerously insane man. Um, and he's a eugenicist and a pal of Jeffrey Epstein's. And, uh, you know, he's not a nice guy. I don't think anybody likes him. Um, and he holds these, these, he has these really crazy ideas. I mean, he wants to dim the sun, you know, um, Elon Musk wants tourist travel to the moon and Mars and wherever the fuck he wants to go with these fantasies, Richard Branson and, and Bezos taking these little space trips that cost billions and billions of dollars. I mean, these are not, these are, are people of, of stunted emotional development. They are not high intellects. They through, uh, good fortune and and inheritance and serendipity ended up gajillionaires. I don't know, but mm. but they are not they are not erudite visionaries. They are not um, they are not people that you want to follow. And 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 yet they they exert this enormous control. Elon Musk and his idiotic girlfriend and his child who's named an equation or something. I mean, these people are idiots. You would laugh at them. I mean, in high school, these are people you throw, you know, erasers at. And and um, and here they are, you know, and here they are. Um, Johan. The, the main point in the sermon at Mass today was that uh, power without wisdom is extremely dangerous, and I think that's a that's that's true. I, I just wanted to throw a few observations <clears throat> out there for, for context pertaining to, to the economy, and then maybe you can tell us about the situation in India pertaining to the, the energy thing, Varun. Uh, so anyway, 
commodity prices seem to be rising across the board. There are a few theories as to why um, I think the global supply chain disruptions due to the lockdowns and related things such as the, the bankruptcy of small and mid-sized businesses is, is likely uh, an important factor. But I also think that actual energy scarcity is, <clears throat> is influencing things here. And, and and that, that kind of scarcity possibly looms in the background of, of the entire COVID event. That coal prices have just reached new all-time highs, actually, and China was seen <clears throat> ordering its energy firms to, to secure winter energy supplies at, at all costs, they said. Uh, the, there's an energy crisis looming in Europe ahead of the winter, I hear, and there's underinvestment in the energy sector in general. You can also add to this that the, the U.S. billionaires gained $1 trillion of net worth since the beginning of the pandemic. And there seems to be a, a, a tech bubble that rivals the, the 2000s dot-com bubble, and there's likely an extreme overvaluation of the tech sector. Some say that we might end up with a situation where too much money is chasing too few and too scarce goods. I mean, some kind of inflation driven by demand which could drive commodity prices so high that the situation could become quite dire for the, for the common citizen. So, so what about coal in India, Varun? Um, we've had multiple newspapers publishing that we have, in places like Delhi at least, we have only three days of coal, uh, worth of coal left. Um, apparently, yeah, well, at least... <laughs> Some are saying only two. I'm just going to read you a quick line from CNN Business, which is actually tying back into the propaganda angle of things. Power, power demand has been surging in India as businesses recover from a brutal wave of COVID-19 earlier this year. In a statement last month, the power ministry said that the rising demand for energy augurs well for the economy and is encouraging as it means that more households are able to afford electricity and industries are getting back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, so some states already have had blackouts and uh, power outages already are happening and they're saying that there's gonna be load shedding and stuff like this. And we usually used to have a lot of that in the summer uh, and it still happens a lot in the summer actually, especially in the suburbs around Central Delhi. But I mean, we were predicting this already, like last year, this is going to be the next stage of uh, the whole movement of this entire global reset. And it ties in well into what Corey was explaining before about UBI, I think, because once this kicks in, inevitably, I think the food supplies are going to go into shortages. I think that's going to be the next scare that is going to happen. And I'll just add here one thing, which is that last year, at some point, Microsoft had uh, patented something called the cryptocurrency system using body activity data. And that it's on Google patents and you can go, anybody can go and look at it. It basically says that a cryptocurrency system comprising one or more processors and memory storing executable instructions that if executed by one or more processors, configure the cryptocurrency system to communicate with a device of a user. 
to receive body activity data, which is generated based on body activity of the user, wherein the body activity is sensed by a sensor communicatively coupled to or comprised in the device of the user. And so I think that's going to come back into what are people actually going to be doing is going to be serving the digital economy. They're going to be mining right. cryptocurrency. That's what right. they're going to be doing when they're all jobless. Yeah. You know, the, the, um, <clears throat> the, the, uh, the the shortage of food the the inflation we're seeing with with gas prices which are extraordinarily high now in norway certainly um but it's this disruption of the supply chain and and people keep throwing that that term around and it's it's being kind of normalized that this is a, a given now uh and and uh, you see it here. I mean, Norway's a, a you know a very wealthy country. Food prices are incredibly high to begin with, and they're even higher now. Uh, and yet, there are shortages of just about everything. And um, even the sort of state-subsidized dairy system, Tina, um, is is very slow to to replace stocks now in in markets and. Uh, the the gas prices are making uh, they're they're so discouraging travel anyway, and one of the ways they're doing that are gas prices. I mean, uh, to drive anywhere now is becoming very close to prohibitive for even uh, very affluent Norwegians. So, this is a whole um, a whole other topic. Yeah, Corey. I just wanted to add that here, um, where I am in Ontario, the gas prices are the most um, in the past week I think I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, I want $1.43.7, I think last week, they might even be higher now. And they're actually covering it a bit in the, in the news. And they have a quote from someone in the industry saying we have plenty of it, but we don't have the ability to get it to the market. Um, and they're blaming um, government mandates. So anyway, yeah, that, that's a real thing that's happening. And then imagine um, in the near future, whatever, if you don't file your taxes, whatever, and you go to turn on your heat and there will be nothing there until you file those taxes, you know, like that's the whole idea behind the blockchain is complete um, and total compliance and servitude and no way to get around it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. Um, I read an article about the shortage of truck drivers, that this is this is an issue everywhere, um, is that no, no, there's no young uh, guys signing up to learn uh, to be long haul truckers. And uh, many of the older ones are retiring or dying or, you know, um, it's it, so so this this looms as a problem in uh, almost every country in the West, apparently. Uh, Hiroyuki? I think it's important to state that all those uh, predicaments, um, shortages and uh, poverty uh, uh, assortments of uh, crisis are all uh, fuels uh, for the uh, um, um, driving the economy to UBI and uh, digital currency. So it, they are, uh, there's no uh, incentives for the uh, ruling class to amend those things because those are Absolutely. solutions yeah. that are set there. 
uh, for us. You know, the, the other solutions, you know, there, there might be, you know, people would say that, you know, uh, the banks should be uh, decentralized, you know, and the community economy should be uh, respected and those things. Um, for example, and uh, and if you're talking about uh, medical uh, situation, you know there are options for uh, treatments, uh, spending more money for the uh, uh, basic healthcare and all that. But those are not solutions that are stipulated by the government, um, the, those industry leaders. So uh, again, this is um, we're facing the situation in which the capitalist. Uh, framework is causing all these crises and and we are hardened into solving these things with <clears throat> the uh, imperatives of the capitalists in order for them to perpetuate what they embrace as feudal uh, hierarchy basically yeah no i think i think that's important and and uh these are manufactured crises. I mean, at least to some degree, almost all of them. And and uh, whatever you know, uh, shortages of truckers or whatever it is, uh, these disruptions are have been created by the governments through these like ridiculous um, reactions to the pandemic. And and uh, you know, this also ties into the d nearly delusional fantasies about AI, that you're going to have driverless cars and trucks and all of these things that are not going to happen, by the way, not going to happen. And if they try them, if they try to implement them, they're going to fail and they're going to be a, a, just a absolute disaster across the board. Um, because again, you have, you we're not being, you know, governments and policy is not being made by wise men. It's being made by lunatics in many, in, in many cases. So, uh, so that's an important point. And, and as, as the pandemic winds down to some degree, many places, not in Canada and not in Australia, uh, but in, but in many places being replaced by a, a shift in focus to climate emergencies, the, the necessity, the absolute economic necessity for digitalization and digital IDs, because this is going to save us from these disruptions and shortages and so forth and so on. Um, and and uh, that shift, I think, is going to, is going to become um, we're going to see a, a, a more exaggerated version of it very soon. The the new the 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 pandemic is slowly being replaced by by climate discourse again and resource shortage, which of course is probably the most real issue, uh, and and uh, how that's going to be served to the public, I'm not entirely sure. But Johan probably has ideas about that. Hiroyuki. Oh, I was just, uh, I, I, <laughs> my hands are still up, but um, um, I, um, I think uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's very educational to uh, uh, listen to what, uh, 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 what you uh, mentioned, uh, Richard Warner of uh, The Economist, right. what he has to say about the uh, uh, financialization 
of the uh, uh, society in the past decades, how uh, it's leading to the uh, centralized economy, how the banking system is trans being transformed into a uh, uh, digital one, which is totally, um, uh, it, it would transform the uh, economy because you can just add zeros, subtract zeros, and right. change the whole thing. And you can be cut off from the economy if you are not uh, following the um, uh, um, uh, orders. Um, so uh, yeah, that's something, uh, uh, if you have any good uh, lectures by him, um, you could put that in the uh, 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 link. As well. <coughs> yeah, I, int I intend to, I think, I think that's an important, um, an important point because he's very good about uh, the, the the economic the economists' theoretical evolution over the last thirty years, and and how they are starting to harken back to to the, the classical um, the economists of the eighteen nineties. In fact, um, how things like lowering the you know the interest rate never stimulated any economy ever, uh, and and. You know, but 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 economics is kind of voodoo anyway, and and he kind of implies that by the end because he says, you know, finally, um, a, a a central bank that controls money can do whatever it wants. It's not a transparent process. They do whatever they want. So the fewer banks you have ultimately ending up with one world global bank that controls digital IDs and so forth, um, can, can essentially do what it wants. But this is a trend we've seen with everything else, is the lack of democratic uh, transparency. I mean, there has been no debate about anything. There's been no public input on anything other than protests. Otherwise, this has been utterly opaque. The, in, the entire thing has been government by decree from, from day one. And uh, there are a few voices. I mean, people are pointing out, you know, BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, Fidelity, they own controlling shares of just about everything. And, and so it's not a surprise that um, certain policies uh, are benefiting uh, certain corporations and certain individuals. Um, Corey. Yeah, I mean, in Ando and Edo, two states in Nigeria last month, I just want to give an example. Um, it was announced that citizens services if they were not vaccinated. If you look at the deaths COVID in Edo in a population of approximately 8 million people, there were there's been 216 deaths. If you look at Ando with a population of almost half a million, there's been 91 deaths. So again, like the, you know, it, it's not adding up. And then, you know, in relation to how this affects other nations that have been absolutely almost um, locked out of the whole global economy with, you know, that they're basically, whether socialist or, or you know, under the influence of um, foreign, foreign influence um, capitalism, they're, they're still trapped within the global economy and they've been essentially locked out. I mean, now, I mean, we, we talk about how we won't be able to travel freely, but people in other countries will not be, you know, those impoverished will not be coming to these countries. They're, you know, we're, we're, right. 
you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you actually, your, your voice was breaking up there a little but I, yeah, no, I, and, and I think that, that one thing to keep track of, and I've been trying to, and it, and it's interesting and, and rather contradictory in a lot of ways is, uh, is the way travel is being marketed now. Um, there's certainly an emphasis on staying home and, and virtual um, vacations and all of this. Uh, and, and the travel industry is trying to encourage people to travel and they're placing ads and so forth. But uh, government policies about entry and exit change literally every day. In Norway, every day, the allowed destinations are changed. You can travel here. Oh, nope. Crete's on the red list now. That means if you went to Crete yesterday, you would have a very hard time coming back and you'd go into quarantine. So nobody's going to book, um, a, you know, a week vacation in Crete or Cyprus or the Canary Islands or anywhere else because the policies are too unpredictable. The prohibitions are too unpredictable. And that has to absolutely be intentional. I mean, there is a concerted push uh, from from uh, almost every government in the world that I have seen to discourage travel. There seems, in fact, in this case, um, a unanimity uh, about this. Travel is dead. I don't think our children will get to travel in the way we traveled as kids, as young people. Um, I, I fear that is uh, the first casualty of all of this, unless people really start to resist. And as I say, you know, there, there is a lot of resistance. There's enormous resistance out there. You just, you, you need to keep it in mind, all of us, I think, because it's not, it's not visible in the media. And the other problem, the final thing I want to mention, um, unless anybody else has, has topics to, to introduce, um, is, is, goes back to the, the communism, fascism thing and, and education and, uh, the erosion in education in the United States, which began with Reagan and, and has only gotten worse since, but, uh, the, the idea that uh, if you look at what children are exposed to in school, not to mention the absurd new you know, health protocols that many kids experience, the masking in the U.S., but, but even the other protocols in places like the U.K., France, Germany, et cetera, um, is, is uh, really going to be damaging down the line. I mean, there are going to be long-term um, uh, consequences for for um, the kids who are anywhere from six to fourteen today. Over the next ten years, um, school is not going to be and isn't right now what it was um, twenty years ago. And um, <clears throat> the other casualty in all of this is. Certainly in, in the U.S., and I'm less, <clears throat> I'm less aware of what is happening in, in the EU, but to some degree, I know what happens in Scandinavia. But um, in the United States, uh, the, the, I don't know what kids are taught, but I do know that, that nobody reads, nobody is encouraged to read, nobody is encouraged to study history, um, and, and it is being this this anti-intellectualism is being ratified 
or justified by uh, a kind of, you know, this this faux woke um, political correctness or whatever you want to call it. It's not really that. It's it's this identity politics that has bled into everything and which I think ultimately very few people believe. But but, you know, in a in a populace so indoctrinated to conformity and obedience, um they they accept it rather passively and so we are seeing the emergence soon of young adults who will be shockingly ignorant johan yeah i don't disagree with the with the word you're saying and i and i think it, things are getting worse in the, the sense you're describing but i also think that we need to realize that that uh, this compulsory mass schooling of industrial society was always to some extent a kind of disciplinary institution uh, to which the, the working class was subjected. And you, you mentioned that there, there's this lack of a, of a, well, a class consciousness or class perspective in the, this, the, the debates today. And we ought to maybe mention this uh, Joe, Joe Bagent, I think you pronounce his name. Joe Bagent. Yeah, he, he, I knew Joe, but go ahead. Yeah, you knew him. Yeah, I just wanted to mention him, and perhaps you should link him in the text. And then I, I know you made a kind of, uh, you had a, a some form of interview or debate with him, and I think he, he's really great at uh, in producing these. Uh, he was great at producing these incisive analyses of contemporary society from a with a, with a class perspective. Really worth reading. <clears throat> Yeah, Joe was terrific. You know who else is worth reading again in terms of education going back to the 60s is Paul Goodman. Uh, uh, and and I would encourage people, uh, Growing Up Absurd, I think, was the title of his most popular book. But he wrote a lot about American education and about schools and about the this. And this is 50 years ago, right? Um, Paul Goodman. Uh, I revisited him a few months ago and I thought, wow, I'd forgotten just how um, how cogent he was and how prescient. Uh, but um, Corey. Hi, I just wanted to add um, some commentary about the war on virus, formerly the war on terror, um, the war on now the war on humanity. Anyway, about what to expect over the winter. With now we have, um, you know, the flu coming and RSV, and um, a whole new, you know, just waves and waves of terror that will be um, echoed out through the chambers of media. So Toronto Star um, writes yesterday that how there were almost no flu cases in Canada last year, and I think we spoke about. <laughs> Yeah. cases from 254,000 down to, I believe it was 64 or something like that. So he's saying, he actually writes, thanks to the lack of natural immunity generated last year that the flu virus this year would be very, very deadly. And, you know, so there they're talking about the lack of natural immunity, you know, from the lockdowns and everything else, the, the isolation and everything else that you know, affects natural immunity. And then near the end of the article, there's one, a solution here on um, vaccination. So, <laughs> and, and so all of this just rolls into like, oh my God, like more and more vaccination, vaccination, vaccination. Um, you know, where, where's the discussion? We, we have an issue with, with COVID. I, I mean, it's, we know 78% of the hospitalizations in the U.S. Um, were, um, people 
with obesity, but we're not talking about that, right? Like that's a real health issue. We have to talk about that because we, we do live in, you know, in Canada and the US have like a major obesity epidemic that doctors have been warning about for years. So right. this is. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 not saying. Well, not, no, you, you broke up again too. That's the problem. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, my apologies. Um, I, yeah, and I think that's important. Um, and we've talked about this before, but it, it bears repeating that that the preconditions for uh, a, a, a pandemic and and the effects on people psychologically and so forth already existed, but they already existed physiologically as well. It's a very unhealthy society, the West. Uh, it's obese. Uh, people have various deficiencies, vitamin deficiencies, a lot of autoimmune conditions, uh, and, and increasingly people don't get enough exercise. Certainly during the pandemic, they haven't. Uh, and what you read, though, in magazines or television, what you see is, wow, gosh, you know, the pandemic did give me a chance to rest up and recharge my batteries. And no, it kept you from going outside in the sun and fresh air. It was it was debilitating. It had an absolutely adverse, very acute physiological effect on people, not to mention the psychological. But I mean, I think we all of us ultimately, no matter how much we emphasize it, are underestimating the psychological effects. Yeah. of the last two years. Yeah. I think people have been driven into states of, um, uh, of, of sort of psychological paralysis. There is, a, there is a, a, a loss of affect that you can almost see on the streets. People um, have become more robotic and, and uh, sonambulant. What's the word I'm looking for? Sonambulant-like. Um, uh, it, and, and it's disturbing and, uh, uh, slowly, this is just two years, but slowly these things are being normalized. These protocols are being normalized. This, 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 these mandates that enforced alienation from each other, people are going to forget how to interact. People are going to forget how to read facial expressions because they see so few faces. Children will not grow up being able to distinguish one expression from another. And this is already being written about. There are already psych papers mm -hmm. about it. Um, and it was already an issue pre-pandemic that um, mothers were staring at their cell phones instead of their infants. Uh, and, and I mean, I'm aware because I have three young kids here that that uh, that facial contact is extraordinarily important. I mean, this is how they learn everything. Um, and, and, uh, and yet I think, so I think again, you know, we're, we're going to see uh, in 10 years um, of a young adult population of, of um, really damaged people. Mm. Um, Johan. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I totally hear you. But, but to put a kind of hopeful note on this, I think this may mean that the potential for creating resistance is, is it's easier in some sense to disrupt this whole thing because in, in a situation where it's more or less a revolutionary act to have face-to-face -face conversations with people, 
it's easier to kind of disrupt the the situation it's more rickety it's more unstable i i think i hope so at least yeah i i perhaps boy i i don't know um any final thoughts from people um, just... I, yeah, I wanted to know from Varun actually what, what, what's going on with the digital identities in India because I've read that they're already on, in place for millions of people. Yes, they were already created when people went and took their vaccination. So the, the health IDs have been created already without consent, without even people knowing. Wow. Right. Wow. All, uh, on a, on a database now, very conveniently. And I think they can link it with the Aadhaar card. So there's going to be like a centralized uh, digital ID for millions, countless millions who have basically just followed orders. And yeah, it's, um, it's very depressing to think of it, but yes, it's happened. Uh, and the the the, uh, the vaccine, uh, the push for the vaccine, and all those things uh, have sort of ceased because it's already implemented. Um, it hasn't ceased, but I think it's been normalized within society, so the state doesn't really need to push anybody anymore. Right, that's the, psych that, the psychological that, maneuvers have worked perfectly. Right, that's an evidence <laughs> that they got what they want, and yes, yes. <laughs> so I just wanted to add was that, I mean, since we're talking about um, digital identity, the first point on the ID2020 ORG page is the ability to prove one's identity is a fundamental and universal human right. Now, a private bunch of private people are saying, giving us the fundamental human right of proving our identity to whom and for what reason. <laughs> is a good question to start asking because the the idea that I exist or anyone else exists depends on our yeah. interaction. When we are isolated from each other, the only thing that is going to validate that identity is going to be the establishment. Yeah. And that is a very deeply neurotic move that has occurred is that it has taken the validation of a person away from the state into the hands of a bunch of billionaires who are running this entire operation. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And and um and I think I think last time or the time before on one of these podcasts I mentioned my pension lately, my my tendency to read ancient texts and 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 I'm drawn to to um uh, theological issues as well as philosophical, and that that I I feel like I need to find time to reflect on things because uh, I'm affected by by the the constant um, assault of media and and uh, the internet and and um, social media, all of these platforms. And and I feel the the effect, and and I think that um, I, th I it's why I think what the firefighters are doing in New York with this art project is very important. I think I think institutional learning is has reached a, just a state of total bankruptcy, and people need to to become autodidacts in some way and to reclaim 
their lives, you know, I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but I mean, they have to reclaim some sense of choice about what they, what they learn and how they learn and, and to re-stimulate curiosity, which seems to have, have gone out of society in general. Uh, we, we are living this, you know, it, it's like the Stepford Wives. It's Children of the Corn. It's uh, Huxley and Orwell. It's all of these. Uh, we're in a really bad science fiction movie now, and um, and and I think that uh, I think that's one one direction for for um, for for or something for people to remember. I don't know, um, Johan. Yeah, I just thought uh, to cultivate the, the issue of cultivating strategies in in that respect would be a really interesting uh, topic for perhaps the, the next pod to, to yeah. really dive deeply into these issues and reflect on on what we can do in our in our own contexts. That's so a really on. yeah, that's a good idea. I think the other thing is to remember on social media because on one level it's important that we post things, we get stories out, we try to inform people as best we can with whatever ability we have. Um, and, uh, uh, but to, but to remember just how toxic it all is, I feel like I, I try to catch myself all the time. I have to stop engaging because it's, it's, you know, it's draining, it's spiritually draining. It's, it's, um, and it does no good. You know, we're dealing with mass psychosis. I really believe that. All right. Uh, and last thoughts, Hiroyuki, final, final thoughts. Uh, I think uh, I, I really agree with the idea that uh, uh, we need to live. And uh, in order to live, we, we have to extend our all, uh, perceptions in different directions. We can't just uh, live in the um, uh, institution of health or institution of education. Uh, we're not uh, separated into those things. Um, we, we have to uh, have cohesive uh, experience of life. Yeah. And, um, and that's, um, uh, when we think about how the uh, ruling class operate through those uh, institutions, uh, that's a, a sort of reflection of uh, what we experience, um, uh, how they are projected. Like the, the, um, they can do whatever they want through uh, medical industry and there's no accountability. And that doesn't mean that they can just do it through medical institution. They can do what they're doing because they have the power over the media, politician, education, or the other institutions are concerted um, in this uh, endeavor to forward their interest. So in a way, they are free and they are living this crazy dreams of uh, whatever they come up with. So, um, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, one thought I had about that was the other day, because we, we've talked all about, you know, these billionaires and, and the agenda of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, this world that they're trying to create. And they're kind of, you know, the subplot is eugenics and all of these various things. And I think to myself, you know, in Bill Gates' wet dream of the future, what what is the world he imagines? 
Um, you know, because it, it, when I try to imagine what Bill Gates dreams of, it's a very unappealing world. It doesn't sound like a fun world. Um, it sounds horrible and dead, denuded, bloodless and boring. Is that what they want? I don't know what they want. You see, perhaps they don't know what they want. Um, other than than the word control, you know, gives them an erection or something. I don't know. Okay. Um, uh, unless there's last. Um, I, I, I want to say something again. Yes. You know, just this huge rollout on children, unhealthy children that don't need to, this experimental vaccine or whatever it is injected into their bodies. I think this is the, the greatest travesty I could ever imagine that I, I'd ever dream of in my lifetime. I, the ultimate victims are not only our elderly, but the children. Um, my, my daughter's five-year-old, she told me this week, actually, I want her to come onto this podcast and talk about it. She told me that she, and, and I mean, it just breaks my heart that she wears a mask at school for whatever it is, six hours straight. She's able to take it off for three minutes to eat her lunch. They're not allowed to talk. They have to look at a screen while they're eating lunch and they have to hurry. They have no help. They have to eat their lunch as fast as they can. No teacher will help them. Um, she had she had Jim and she took off her mask because she couldn't breathe. And the teacher yelled at her to put it back mm -hmm. on or she'd have a detention. They wear it at recess, like I said, three minutes a day. And she said to me, um, she said she doesn't understand why her teacher takes her mask off and the children are not mad at her. So why? <laughs> why is the teacher mad at them? And I mean, this is child abuse. I don't care what anyone says. That's what yeah. it is. It's disgusting. It is. It's grotesque. It's horrific in every way, shape and form. And I'm just appalled that people are not defending the children. Like it's absolutely well, sick. The, the idea of eating fast, staring fast, staring at a screen. That's that's what they do at L.A. County Jail. You know, you have you have seven minutes to eat and you can't talk to anybody or look side to side. I happen to remember that, but that's another story. Um, so, yeah, I mean, school has for a long time resembled prison, but now it literally is a prison. Um, all right, guys. Uh, uh, it was a really um, this was a good talk. And uh, I thank all of you again, as always. Um, and this will be up, I hope, soon. Jack Lippman, thanks, as always. And um, we'll talk to you soon, yeah? Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. Take care. Thank you, guys.